from the mind of the sapient simian. This is Nobody's Prodigy. Free-range ideas from beyond the box. This is the Sapient Simeon, and welcome to Nobody's Prodigy, episode 25, an episode I'm going to call A Cultural Evolution. Now, ever since Darwin published his landmark book on the origin of species in 1859, the world has been struggling to absorb the implications. For some, raised with no other conceptions, the ideas can come easily, while others experience serious existential crises every step along the way. Grand picture ideas to one side, for a change, I find the idea that all life is related to each other to be a fascinating one. That each species is a result of small differences over a vast time is a curious concept with interesting day-to-day meaning from a uniquely viewed angle. Now, in terms of the concept of evolution, if we push all of the hot-button topics of that to one side, in general, most people look at the tree of life as a whole And generally speaking, it seems to me that most people fixate on the strangeness of various distant relations on that tree. The idea that somehow mushrooms are related to baboons or that dinosaurs are related to albacores, which, of course, are a type of of fish, albacore tuna. And I think when you do that, you tend to exacerbate the idea that it's a real mind shift to put that in perspective by choosing the most difficult things to grasp. And in those cases, that would be kind of a difficult thing to understand. In my case, however, I was always interested by the subtler changes that gave rise to big differences on the tree, as as I will call it. I was always interested in the idea that one day, one sibling chose to go path A, and another sibling chose to go path B, and that those two choices led to drastically different species, or or just different species in general, as a result of that. I mean, if you look at various species that are said to have a common ancestor, it means that a long time ago, these two species were the same type of animal, even though it wasn't either of the two. And in a sense, one day, that animal woke up and one of its children decided to start doing things one way and one of them started doing things another way and one went on to become one thing and, and one went on to another. You know, as an example, uh, rabbits and rats have a, a fairly close common ancestor. So that common ancestor, one day one of the children woke up and decided, you know, I think I'm going to hop around and eat grass and uh, stay in the woods and become a rabbit And the other one decided that it was going to eat whatever it could find and skulk around and focus on being uh, devious and clever. And, And that child eventually became the family of rats. And that decision was made one day in a manner of speaking that led to whatever that one original creature was sort of split off and went two different directions. And one became the rabbit that we know of that we don't really think of or look at in anywhere near the same way as we look at rats. Another example would be squirrels and guinea pigs are actually uh, considered to be fairly close relatives. And when you look at those two, you think they're not at all similar. Guinea pigs are sort of rounded and squat and and furry and almost look like giant hamsters, but they squeak and burrow and stuff things in their cheeks. And squirrels are 
agile and jump between branches of trees and have enormous tails and bury things in nuts in the ground and that sort of thing. And they're just, they're drastically different. But in a manner of speaking, the thing that I found fascinating was the idea that one day that ancestor had two children and one of them went on to become squirrels and the other one went on to become guinea pigs and that the small decisions, the small choices between those two were the deciding factors. Darwin himself, what drove the writing of his books, observed that different foods among the same bird species actually shaped the development of their beaks that gave rise to what would have been considered different species at the time, and that drastically different structures were developed as a result of a decision to eat one thing or another thing, in a manner of speaking. So those same proverbial children went on to eat one kind of thing, and one went on to eat another kind of thing, and because of those decisions became different species with drastically different facial structures and shapes and strengths and muscle power and all kinds of things based on the different foods that they ate. And I find those things to be fascinating in the sense that I've always thought it to be interesting to imagine that day and to imagine that time. But the thing that I find even more interesting or even more curious is species that had similar foods in a similar environment, but just went about things in a different way, a different style. And the example that always stuck in my mind is the idea of cats and dogs. So cats and dogs do share a common ancestor, and basically carnivorous mammals all sort of fall under that umbrella that either became cats or dogs. But in that carnivorous umbrella, there is this early division between cats and dogs, between felines and canines. And the idea that at some point there was a decision made between this original family of creatures that one went on to become canines and dogs and the other went on to become cats and felines. And basically the canine path not only went on to become dogs but also bears and raccoons and skunks and that same canine family and then cats, mongies and and civets and uh, even hyenas which is kind of strange. But there is this sort of schism, this great divide that happened all those many, 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 many years ago that defined those two. But in that case, there was not a difference of food. They both were still carnivores. They both were still predators. There was not necessarily a difference of environment. They both still, to this day, can exist in the same places. You still have cats and dogs in nature that will be found in similar environments and even in the same wooded areas or the same jungles or the same places you will find creatures of both lineages that live together, but they instead have just simply chosen different styles, different methods, different techniques in a way that uh, is really curious to me because we think of evolution as happening in terms of catastrophes or starvation or something along those lines where you're, you're just no longer able to do what you would have done in the way that the dinosaurs were driven extinct and therefore something else came along because they simply weren't there anymore. Or a particular animal will have to change foods because 
the food that it did eat is no longer available, or one type of food will dwindle away and another will become more available, so therefore the animal will evolve to eat the other food instead. But with cats and dogs, that's really not the case. They both still had access to the food of their choice. So it's interesting to me to think of that first choice, that first division, that one chose stealth and the other chose force uh, in broad terms, or that cats obsess over self-grooming and dogs don't seem to. If you look at the family of canines in terms of dogs, bears, raccoons, and skunks, they definitely have a tendency to embrace smelliness, especially in terms of skunks, the idea that a developed smell is a good thing, whereas cats have an obsession with self-grooming. Even if they do use scent, it's always very isolated. They will have certain glands in specific areas, but in general, they're, they're very sort of fixated on grooming. And then you also look at their choices in terms of social nature. Cats tend to be more isolationist, more individual. They want to be by themselves. In general, uh, cats in nature don't operate in groups. Most cats, and even large cats, tend to be uh, solitary. And dogs and other animals in the canine lineage have more of a tendency toward uh, social nature and working together, especially in terms of dogs. So it's interesting to me that in those situations, it almost seems that the difference was more of a matter of choice. Because in terms of survival, both techniques were proven to work. Both lineages were equally successful, and both of them were equally long-lived in the sense that they both continued to survive perfectly well. So I found myself asking, was it a, a matter of sexual selection Is it a matter of chosen separation of population? Which is to say, was it just that the creatures of the two chosen lineages simply found certain traits to be more desirable and therefore would have chosen to mate only with the individuals that shared those same tendencies? Or was it a matter of not liking to be around the animals that were of the other kind in the sense that they purposely chose to to separate themselves into two different populations so that they didn't have a chance to interbreed. Because for thousands of years, the species could have reintegrated. It takes a long time for two species to separate so far that they cannot then be mixed back together into a single species. So that original common ancestor, at the point that those two populations separated themselves, they then had to maintain that separation in terms of reproduction for an extremely long amount of time in order to actually become two different species that went on to become even more different species from there. But ultimately, even though that was possible for thousands of years, neither species did that. Neither species chose to engage in that, which is curious to me, and it just goes to show how Whatever that decision was, whatever that moment of divergence was, was something that was passed along in a long-lived way that was maintained for an insanely long amount of time before you got to a point where it couldn't be undone. So 
instead of reintegrating, they maintained separate and equally successful paths. But at the same time, they were doing similar things. They were pursuing similar prey, often in similar environments. And yet when they got around each other close enough, they would have chosen not to mix together, not to interbreed with each other. They would have chosen to maintain that separation of their own accord, which is just very strange to me. It's just an interesting, like I said, an interesting concept to sort of wrap your head around because it implies a certain amount of deliberation or almost choice on a level that is not something we normally think of in our arrogant human way when we think of animals uh, throughout history. But the idea that this sort of brings up in my mind that I find most fascinating is the idea that this implies, at least in my mind, it implies a difference in what we would call culture, which is to say that the two species, even, or well, they were the same species, but the two groups of that common ancestor developed two different cultures, which is to say culture in terms of chosen method of doing something, the values that they would hold as far as the ideal, what is the the best or what is the most desirable or the most attractive traits, the concept of what is desirable in terms of choosing a location to have a den or have a nest or what defines the most desirable mate and what you look for in terms of a mate, um, or even your preferred environment in terms of do you look for your mate in the trees or on the ground? Do you look for your mate at a certain time of the year or at a certain place? And like I said, for thousands of years, these would have been intermingling or able to intermingle groups. So instead, this would have been a difference of, almost a difference of opinion or of choice, which for me is a kind of culture. It's a matter of those members of the same species of a different kind simply value a different kind of thing. When it comes to looking for a mate, they look for a different kind of mate. So in a sense... It leads to the implication that the divergences among species could, in a way, be seen as the development of a difference in culture in a single species. And that divergence in culture, on some level, is then given enough time and distance to then develop into two separate trait expressions that eventually become so different after thousands of years that you then end up with two different species that are no longer able to reintegrate themselves. So if culture defines what is valued and what is valued determines reproduction and reproduction determines the success of your particular line, your particular lineage, or your particular genetics then that also means that your influence among that group could also lead to the success of your lineage, which is to say that your success in a social environment may depend on your ability to embody or to champion the things which that culture values. Then, in a sense, culture slowly shapes the ideal which means that the ideal 
slowly shapes the destiny of the species. So, in a way, I always looked at it as two siblings choosing to do two different things, but in a way, you could look at it as a population choosing two different cultural values of one kind or another, and one of them choosing to value one type of action and the other choosing to value another type of action. And if you consider the the progression of time and the slowness that that takes, for a long time there may be only slight differences, but, but then eventually you develop into two completely different conceptions of what it is to be what they are, you know, what defines the difference between the animal that becomes the squirrel and the animal that becomes the guinea pig, or the animal that becomes the rabbit and the animal that becomes the rat. For a long time, they were very similar, except that they chose to do things differently. When And even at serious times, when they were under threat, when they were being pursued by predators, the order in which they would react to that, the techniques that they saw as being effective, the things that they would do. So it wasn't just an opinion. It was actually really important things. The places they would go when the weather got incredibly bad, the things that they would avoid when it comes to making major decisions as far as where to actually set up your home. All of these sorts of fundamental, even instinctive things that we think of as being built in would have been different and would have caused that divergence between those two groups that were otherwise genetically very similar. And that's what would have actually led to the divergence between the two. So the idea of cultural Darwinism is something that has come up. The idea that when cultures meet, the more dominant culture tends to destroy the less dominant culture especially when it comes to colonization and various other things like that. But when you look at this idea that culture sort of shapes a species, things like culture wars and longstanding compatibilities between different cultures, the idea that there are certain concepts and certain values behind different cultures around the world that are constantly sort of at odds with each other, different values in the way of being part of a group, or do you value individuality, or do you value adherence to a larger theological system, or do you value personal definition of oneself, and all those sorts of things. And then, of course, what is it that defines success when it comes to personal success as far as choosing between two different people as far as do you desire this person to be a a mate or do you desire this other person? All of those sorts of subtle things come into play. And it makes me ask, are these causes or are they effects? In the sense that if these things are cultural, then you think, well, culture is something that develops over time because people are isolated. But at the same time, if that isolation is caused by the culture, then they're sort of intertwined in a way that I find to be really interesting. And it's important to remember, and I think the key of this is that as we define our values, the question is, do we define our futures? Uh, There's a quote that I really like that actually is uh, something I try to remind myself. When I was younger, a big part of my culture is the idea that uh, 
when you're younger, you go through things that are not um, easy, but they are things that build um, character, this is the way that it's put. And it's the idea that, um, you know, the struggles that you go through develop your character as a person, and they build you up as a as something that is valued, which is to say that in, in that culture, the idea of going through a struggle is not a bad thing, and it's not something to be avoided all the time, because the struggle itself somehow imparts within you something that is worth having. But the quote itself is actually ties into this general concept in the sense that the quote is that uh, character defines destiny which is something I try to remind myself because, of course, when I was younger, every time someone said something was going to build character, I thought it was just an excuse for uh, something being really crappy that I didn't want to deal with. And there are certainly communities in the world today and, and in culture, there are cultures today that avoid strife and struggle, especially when someone is younger. And it's considered to be more valuable to give someone a childhood that doesn't have any sort of struggle or difficulty in it. The idea of having to deal with a bully or having to deal with hardship is somehow to be avoided is not something that my culture takes on easily. For my culture, at least, the idea is that these things are character building, and even if they are difficult and are only difficult, that they do at least build your character and that that character is worth having later in your life. So... That's sort of a, an interesting cultural difference that may be uh, something that the rest of you can relate to uh, as far as a divergence of culture. So the shapes of a species are hard to predict, and the processes are incredibly slow. But maybe our values and customs mean more than we know. Maybe our own self-definitions eventually come to define us all in the end. And I think that's ultimately the point of this particular episode, just to sort of broach the idea that maybe our own choices have more to do with the future of all of us than we would otherwise think is true. Maybe the values that we fight for and the things that we hold dear are more than just incidental things that we can toss to one side. Uh, Maybe these things are not just things that make us who we are, but things that will make us who we will become, which I think is a really interesting idea. So with that being said, I'm going to go ahead and wrap up this episode. Uh, This definitely was in the category of sort of mental musings as as it is a sort of a random connection between a few disparate ideas. I do want to go ahead and say that I'm not someone who wants to link this to any kind of racist theory or any kind of racism in the sense that uh, I don't sort of extrapolate this in any other direction because there is not, in my opinion, direct correlation between culture and race. I think that uh, culture is something that is far more nuanced than what we tend to call race, and culture is something that is, is far more interesting So, you know, I just wanted to kind of put that out there as a a bit of a disclaimer, because I think that uh, lots of people want to oversimplify things in that way, because they don't want to deal with the complexities of the reality. So um, with that being said, I want to wish you all a a great week, and I look forward to uh, seeing you all back here uh, again next time. And uh, I appreciate every one of you, and I want to say thank you again for listening, and I will talk to you soon. All right.
If you're enjoying the show and would like to help me feed myself, keep the lights on, and continue making episodes, direct PayPal donations and other inquiries can be sent to thesapientsimeon at gmail.com. That's thesapientsimeon at gmail.com. I do have a Patreon page, also under The Sapient Simeon, where you can get exclusive access to view my other work from years past. Paintings, designs, projects, and experiments seen nowhere else. With your help, I can maintain the show as a commercial-free broadcast we all can enjoy. But a key part in that process is reaching out to encourage me and show your appreciation. In the meantime, I would like to thank you for listening and doing what you can to help share my work with others. Until next time, stay curious.